0: What a wonderful truth she remains standing for God's word comes from James 2 chapter 14 or chapter 2 verses 14 through 17 says what good is it my brothers and sisters if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds can such faith save them suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat. Welcome, 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 and greetings. We are Going to cover our second week in the series of The God Shaped Man. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up in the Midwest where there's a lot more snow than there is here. And I loved, then, when I was a kid, I loved playing in the snow. Not anymore. When I was a kid, I loved playing in the snow, as I think a lot of kids do, and we had snowball fights and all these things, and and it, it kind of, as I was preparing this week, this kind of thought came into my head. I, I particularly remember growing up, and when I was probably, you know, anywhere from, I don't know, probably six till, uh, who knows how, how old I was. I mean, I could have been 16, I don't really know, but we... we My friends and I, we love to play outside, and particularly when, after a large snowstorm, snowplows would come and and clear uh, parking lots and they'd be these giant mounds of snow. And we like to play this game called King of the Mountain. I heard somebody chuckle, so somebody knows what this game is. If you don't know what King of the Mountain is, I don't know if they still play it, I'm sure there's some kind of version. But king of the mountain is very, very simple, which is good for boys. The whole part of king of the mountain is you stand on top of the giant mound of snow, and if anybody comes up, you throw them off, push them off, sometimes kick them off, whatever the case may be, in order to stand your ground and cover your territory. And I don't know who, how we decided who won, other than, I guess, the guys on the bottom that are bloody-nosed and, and from getting pushed and shoved and kicked, and I was one of those kids occasionally, they won. But as I started thinking about that particular event and kind of thinking through my life as a kid, as a young boy, do you know... A lot of boys have this innate sense of aggressiveness. I don't know if you and, and and I will not say. I mean, I have so I have three, four children. I have three girls, one boy. I will not say that my girls, my particularly uh, my my two younger girls, did not have this same innate aggressiveness uh, when they were growing up because. Uh, my kids fought, and they continue to fight sometimes. Now, not physical anymore. Now it's just bickering. But, but my, my youngest girl, she would punch you as much as look at you. Um, so it's not just about boys. But I think overall, throughout uh, through history, particularly young boys, boys have this, this innate aggressiveness. And they play stupid games like King of the Mountain and we determine who wins by who has the least amount of blood showing. I don't know. But as we grow, and I think when we get into the teen years, the teenage years, sometimes that aggressiveness comes out uh, in, in hormone rage, uh, comes out in anger and frustration, and, and sometimes it's hostile. And, and, and as we continue to grow, we begin to understand, I hope, some, grow out of that aggressive tendency, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think, I, I'm not, I'm not certainly not saying that we should have a bunch of aggressive people should be fighting all over all the time, but, but something happens that, that young men, when they, they begin to grow and they, they start to realize that societal norms uh, sometimes even spiritual norms, or or what church, let's call them church norms, says you can't you can't be that. You can't you can't show aggressiveness. You can't show uh, how how strong you are. You you gotta you gotta relax a little bit. You gotta rest a little bit. And I think in and of itself that's a good thing. But but as you think about it. More and more in today's culture, men aren't being allowed to be men. Young boys are not growing up to learn how to be men. And I think as a society, we've become much more passive. And there's a flaw in that. Last week, we started uh, identifying this characteristic in this series. And if you remember, this, this entire series, the next, uh, now the next three weeks of this series, is based on an adaptation of a book called Raising a Modern Day Knight. And it's put out, it's distributed by Focus on the Family, and it, it, is, it is dominantly focuses on how to raise young men young boys, to become godly men. And I don't know if you'd agree with me or not, but I think there's an argument out there to be made that in today's world and going forward, we need godly men now more than ever. Now, if you look at the... The first week, we we talked about the the idea of the God-shaped man, and this is really what we're we're focusing on on the next four weeks, is is not what, what does society want men to be, maybe not even what your family wants you to be as a man, but what does God want you to be as a man? Because that's the ultimate test. That's the ultimate approval, is to be what God wants us to be. Last week, we talked about the idea that the God-shaped man, we looked at the characteristic, the God-shaped man accepts or embraces responsibility, understands that we are created, all of us are created for a purpose, and we accept the responsibilities that come with that purpose. From the time of creation, Adam, from Adam and Eve, man was created for what? To work and to have dominion over the earth. To care for the earth, to, to work and to move forward. And we have taken that, even today's terms, and, and we go, we as men, as godly men, we are to accept the responsibility that God has put before us. Now, if you look at the, that book, Raising a Modern Day Night, and then you start thinking about the night, certainly the old the old knight or the, the knights of old let's just say that we we talked about last week a little bit that they have this code to live by a code about truth and and honor and fighting for those and defending those who can't defend themselves and and to seek out truth and to and to work according to the will of the king now I don't. I, I love like movies. I was talking to some some people back back uh, before we started this morning today, and said they said they are watching somebody was watching old western. I love old westerns, but I also like those movies that are like the night. Right, the knight in shining armor—not like the Monty Python knight, but well—that and I somebody was thinking that—not like that. We'll 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 set that aside for a bit. Not Monty Python, but but you know the idea of the knight, you know the the one who who wears the armor, and and jousts and 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 is has the ability to to wield a sword and, and a shield and and it's just when I watch those movies and I see that I'm going that's. I want to do that. But those nights, they had had a code. Now, certainly, as we said last week, they didn't always, not every night throughout history lived according to that code or lived up to that code. But just as like very many of our godly men, we don't always live up to what our expectations. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't continue to grow and try and aspire to be what God wants us to be. Those knights of old, there's no argument here, I don't think, that these men were passive. No no indication throughout history that knights were ever passive That that said, you know what, let somebody else deal with it. You know what, I know that's wrong, and I know that's going to happen, but I really don't want to deal with that. I don't want to have to deal with that confrontation. No, friends, that is not what knights did. Knights were called by the king and and told by the king, you go and you fight and you defend. And when they see weakness and they see things that need, need fighting, they stand up. And so we're going to take that in in this week and understand that this next big idea that we're going to hold on to is that once we realize that the God shaped man accepts responsibility, embraces responsibility. But when you embrace that responsibility, you understand that the God shaped man is called to action and he rejects passivity, means he stands for what he knows to be right. Now this isn't a call to arms and say, "Hey, let's let's start let's you know, let, let's start being like we were as, as young men and start being let's start being more aggressive." No, that's not what we're saying here. If you got that, you're missing the point. We it's the idea that we are called by God to action. We are called to his purpose, to the action of moving and representing God here on this earth standing up for what we know to be right, defending those truths and and those ideals that we know are biblically sacred and true. And we can't do that when we're passive. In fact, I think we, we, as as a church, we have gone so far that we've become more and more passive all the time, and I think we're seeing the results of that today. Where does that come from? Why, all of a sudden, did man become passive? Why, all of a sudden, did the godly man set aside his responsibility of standing for what he believed, standing for what he believed is true, and no longer aspire to be what God wanted him to be? Well, to answer that, at the first, I think we've got to go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis 3 talks about this. Part of the creation story. Adam and Eve are are now in the garden, and they're tending to what God has given to them. Adam has taken responsibility. In chapter 3, verse 1, this, I think, is where we started to become passive. Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of it of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. the serpent says, but you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. And we know, if you look in in chapter 2, you know the tree that, that, that they're referring to. God tells Adam, you can eat of anything in the garden. You can have anything you desire, except you shall not eat from this tree, this tree of good and evil, the tree of knowledge, lest you die. Now, one thing we're we're gonna get to in just a minute, and in fact, let's do, go ahead and get to this in a minute. But let's let's look at examine again, just like we did last week. Let's examine the the characters here. What's going on? The first one I think you have to understand is the serpent, right? The serpent. Uh, I don't really care for snakes. I had one, my sister had one growing up, and it bit me uh, when I was trying to feed it a mouse, and it latched onto me instead, and I think from that point on, I just really don't care for snakes. I'm not scared of them. I just don't like them. The serpent represents the enemy, and make no mistake, folks. Christians, we have an enemy. We call him Satan, and the enemy is strong. And one thing you need to know from when you look and you read this is the serpent as the representation of the enemy is that your enemy he is devious and he is cunning he's devious and cunning if you look at this example what the serpent does is that he begins to twist the interpretation that Eve has about the tree. Now, he can do that most because she didn't have it quite right. You notice that so God told Adam, Do you can eat of anything in, in, the, in the garden except for this tree? Because if you eat of this, you surely will die. Now, when the serpent challenges Eve. What does Eve say? Serpent says, did he really did God really say you can't eat you can't eat of any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but you shall not eat, God says, of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst or in the middle of the garden. Here it is, neither shall you touch it or you will die. God didn't say that. God didn't say you can't touch it. He said you can't eat from it. So where did she get this? Well, we assume she got it from Adam. And the serpent who who represents the enemy, because he is devious, because he is cunning, he uses that and he manipulates that and said, surely you won't die. What it really is that God doesn't want you to have your eyes open, because if you eat of this fruit, it's kind of playing to- towards the, the weakness here. If you eat this, tr- this fruit, you won't die. In fact, you eat from this fruit, you're going to become equal to God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Do you notice that the serpent or the enemy in this case, he ain't, he's not lying. He doesn't lie. God did not want his creation to eat of that. Why? Because he wanted his perfect creation to commune with him in the garden. And so the enemy uses that. He confuses the matter. Now, why does the enemy uh, want us to be confused? Why does the enemy want us to be passive? Because let's let's be honest, in this story, this is Adam's opportunity right here in this moment. This is his opportunity to stand up and say, no, what you're saying, one, Eve, God said you can't eat it or you'll die. Maybe you should correct that. The other thing is, maybe he should, you know, he's there working. You you get this idea that he's working. Maybe he's working the garden. He's got this garden hoe and he should be just come running and just chop that serpent up into pieces. My grandmother did that when she, it was a copperhead. If you might know what a copperhead is, that's what she did. She just kept on chopping And the thing just kept on wiggling. She kept on chopping and kept on wiggling. But that's what Adam should have done, right? He should have come a running and chopped that that serpent, chopped that devil up into pieces. That would have been the end of this story. Where's Adam? Now, sometimes we get this assumption that Adam is off somewhere else. But then we read, scripture. Why does the enemy want us for, want us to be passive? Because he wants us to blur the lines between right and wrong. Verse 7. Verse 6, six and 7 says this. Where's Adam? It says so, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one want she took its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was, what? With her. He was right there. He could have stopped this whole thing. But instead, he ate. Instead of saving Eve from certain death and doom and destruction, he decides, looks good to me, let's do it. The enemy wants us to be passive. The enemy knew somehow that Adam was going to be passive in this moment. He didn't answer the call to action to act upon what God told him to do. And what happened? Seven says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, Adam should have stepped in, but he didn't. Eve, certainly, on her part, shouldn't have ate. Right, we, we can agree on that. But here's what happened. When, when Scripture tells us that when they ate of it, their eyes were opened and they were naked, that, that what that meant is that now they go on, Houston, we have a problem. We are no longer innocent. We can see what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, to the point that at that moment, we know we messed up and we did exactly what God told us not to do, and now we know we're going to be in trouble. See, what happens is that because the enemy is devious and he's cunning, and then we become passive and we don't stand up and we don't, we don't defend what we know to be right, what happens is is that being passive complicates our relationships with others. See, when we're passive, that means that our children may grow up to become passive too. When we we don't make standing up for what God says to be right a priority, why would we expect our children to or our families to? or those people around us in our churches? Why would we expect that? In fact, what happens is it complicates our relationships because then we, sometimes, I don't know if you're like this, married men, and I love my wife and she's watching at home tonight and, and so that she can do the sign language tomorrow. So honey, I love you. But there are times in marriages where we have conflict. I don't know if, maybe it's just me. There are times when we don't, when we when we go, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick my battle, and I'm gonna walk on eggshells for a little while. And I'm not saying that, men, that you should dominate and expand your authority. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when we when we know something in our walk to be right, we should stand up for that. And when we don't, Those people around us, particularly our children, are watching us. And they go, well, if dad's not going to stand up, why should I? It complicates the relationship. But worse yet, when we get to verse 8 through 13, worse yet, being passive damages our relationship with God. That's what, exactly what happens here. In verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. See, difficult, complicated relationship, right? The blame game is starting. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The servant, the serpent deceived me and I ate. We know the end of the story. We know that eating of that apple, we always think it's an apple. I don't know why it's an apple, but maybe because it looks nice and it's bright and shiny, it's red, it's cool. You know, maybe it's maybe it's a guava. I don't know. That's not the point. But when Adam and Eve ate, wasn't the fact that they ate. It was the fact that they did what God told them not to do. That's what got them into trouble. That's what complicated this relationship. That's what now damaged that relationship that they had with God. That's what we call sin. So that's where our passiveness came from. It came all the way from creation. It came from creation. 1 Corinthians 15 says it this way For as in Adam, all die. As in from Adam, all die. So, so scripture, in, in, when we look at Corinthians and Paul uses that, he compares two Adams. The one is the first Adam, the man, the human, the created man, who is broken and fallen and and did not stand up for what he believed, did not stand up and say, No, this is wrong. God said, Do not do this. And from that we have sin, and from sin we have death. The wages of sin is death. That's what Scripture says. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Why have we become passive over time? Because our brokenness and our desire to sin. We're still, when we we sin, folks, we're still, just like Adam and Eve, when, when we hear God coming, we're hiding. As if you could hide from God. we do it why because we're broken but when we turn and when we when we start to understand what God desires for us to be what God wants to shape us to become men women, what God wants us to be is he wants he calls us to action and he wants us to reject that means we have to reject passivity we have to accept responsibility and when we do that and we start growing we go from Adam to this Adam, the created Adam, to Christ, fully man, fully God. Jesus was not passive. Jesus never watered down truth. Jesus never missed opportunity to stand for what he knew to be right. Philippians 2, 3 through 11 says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus walked through this world, walked through the same struggles that we walked through, who lowered himself. He was there at the time of when Adam was created. He was there at the time of all creation. And because of his love for you and for me, And because Adam, from that moment, broke the plan, broke the communion that we once had with God and could walk with God daily, Jesus said, I want man to have that again. And so he walked through this life without sin, stood up for what his father said was right and lived according to god's purpose accepted responsibility for the price to the point that he went and he died on the cross you want to talk about accepting responsibility being called to action and rejecting passivity jesus died on the cross not for himself but for you and for me An old pastor friend of mine used to always tell me, he's like, do you realize that Jesus knew and knows every sin that you're going to commit or have committed? Look at me right in the eye and says that. Have you ever thought about that? You want to talk about being called to action and standing. Jesus knew every sin that you would commit even those that you haven't even thought of yet. Jesus, in our brokenness, stood up and said, I will pay the price. I will stand and sacrifice myself for you. And just like last week when we talked about this, when we, when we understand that and we, we begin to, Accept that. Accept Christ for who he is, the Son of God, and ask him to enter, and the Holy Spirit then comes and fills us. Man, at that point, that that is the point. We are no longer our own, and at that point, we no longer can sit on the sidelines. We no longer can just be passive and watch things go on. Now, again, this isn't about aggressiveness. This is about standing in your walk. This is about standing for what you know is right. We reject passivity. We don't wait for somebody else to stand up. We say, God called me in this moment to stand, and I'm going to. I'm going to be the man that God wants me to be. I'm going to aspire. Am I going to get it all right? No. Am I going to be perfect? No. Am I going to be, am I gonna sin? Am I going to, am I gonna have obstacles? Absolutely. But every single day I am going to stand and act. Why? Because that's What Jesus died on the cross for me to do. What an amazing truth. Now, how do we do that? Look, I want you to look because again, this isn't always about when we talk about standing and being called to action and standing up. It doesn't even always mean that we have to say a word. Being called to action and and being the God-shaped man isn't always about your words. It isn't always about being physical. It's about living your life according to what God desires for you to live. It's what we call living a life of faith. How do we do that? I think best we look in the book of James. Now, if you don't know much about the background of James, and I'm going to do this real quick. So James is writing to individuals were once Jews and have accepted Christ. And now life for them has not been easy. We know know that the church was persecuted, but but what was happening in in the context of James is that people around them, so people, so uh, Jewish men who, who had businesses now were we're still dealing with the same people, their fellow, their fellow Jews, but now they weren't being treated the same. They would do work and not get paid to do the work, or they have two people and they have the same business, and the one who was still faithful to the Jewish culture, that's who people went with, and these guys would be. Kind of left on the wayside. They were struggling. They were struggling financially. They were struggling with family ties. They were, they were losing family and friends all around them. They were struggling, and some of them were at the point where they're going, I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if being a believer in Christ is worth it on this earth. I think maybe we should go back to doing what we were doing. Maybe denounce our faith, and so so we can at least have some peace and prosperity in this world. And James writes this and says, no. Now is the time to stand. Now is the time to continue in your walk. What does he say? He says in, four, in, in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith do we stand up how do we how are we called to action now please do not be confused and this may be a a message for another time but and certainly is because that's not what we're covering here but but no really hold on to what james says james is 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 not saying that you have to have works you have to do good works in order to have salvation make make that very clear there's only one way to salvation that is to accept Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord. To accept him and ask him and, and, for, and to, to repent and ask forgiveness for the sins, that those sins that we have done against God, and ask for Jesus to forgive us of those sins. And Scripture says he will not only forgive us, but he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's salvation. Salvation for which our faith is based upon. What he's saying is you have to put your money where your mouth is. It's not enough to say you have faith. we got a lot of people, a lot of men. I have faith. I believe in God. Great. What are you doing? I'm just trying to get through each day. What James is saying is that Our faith should guide us. Our faith should strengthen us to the point that everything that we do is the understanding that we are called as God's servant to live each life day by day according to his will, accepting the responsibility and standing for what we know to be right. In our walk, every day, how do we do that? first thing is this, being called to action means living faith out in the open. Verse 17 said, in the same way, faith by itself, if, it's, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. See, we, we are called to action. That means we live out our faith. It, does, it's all, it isn't always about what we vocalize. It's how we live each day. It's how people see us and they perceive us. And at the end of each day, we stand apart from the world. We live our life out in the open. We live our faith out in the open. It means we don't we, we don't just live it on, on, on weekends or at worship services. Where we, we, we're with our whole community of, of church, of fellow believers, or at least the majority of fellow believers, and we worship, and we, and we, and we listen to teaching, and we, and we give our offering, and then we're good for the week. No, that is what encourages and strengthens us to live our faith out in the open the rest of the week. Each and every day, our actions should speak to our faith. What we stand for. It also means that being called to action very similar demonstrates our faith to others. In 18, he said, James says, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. That's when he goes on and says, So you say you believe in God? Great. You know who else believes in God? All the demons, all the enemies of God, every one of them believes in God. But how are you acting your life out? How are you living your life for God? How are you living your works? How are you living out your faith? Because when we do these things, being called, when we talk about rejecting passivity, answering the call, being called to action, strengthens our faith. I have yet to experience an individual who says, you know what, I live, I, I believe in God, and doesn't live out their faith. Continue down that path. It's, it becomes weak. Their faith becomes weak. Why? Because when, they're, when you're not living your life for Christ, when you're not living intentionally and living as though you were called for this, that's when all the other stuff creeps in that's when the enemy starts working against you and starts manipulating those things and starts telling you things like you believe in God you're good you you don't you don't need to go to church to believe in God you you don't need to be in a bible study you don't need to be in worship you don't you don't need to to give offering that You're fine. You're a good person. Surely, if you eat of this, you won't die. You'll just know the difference between good and evil. It's manipulation. James says, Was not our father Abraham? considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar, gave his son as a sacrifice. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. What James is saying is, if you have faith, you have to have work. You, you can't have one without the other. If you have true faith in God and feel that you are called by God, then you must act accordingly. Accordingly. So, how do we do it? How do we become that God shaped man? Because I don't know about you, I want to become, I want to aspire to be that man that God wants me to be. The first thing is this just like last week, the God shaped man is called to action and rejects passivity where? In his faith. First and foremost, in your faith. That says, the faith that says, this is what I believe. This is how I will be, and my faith is going to guide me in my life. It's not just a piece of of what I do. It's not just something, my faith I have when I need it. And and when I don't need it, I'm going to put it on the shelf in a nice box. I'm going to keep it up here. But when I need it, when I'm struggling, that's when I need my faith. Then I'm going to pull it off. No, friends. Remember last week I told you, never neglect growing in your faith. Never. Faith is an all-time thing. Why? Because God is God all of the time, not some of the time. Not when it's convenient. Not when when there's only good things going or there to help us when bad things are going. God is there all the time. He is King of kings, Lord of lords, all of the time. Therefore, our faith should be growing all of the time. Standing and being called to action and rejecting passivity in our face should happen all of the time. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Just as it was last week with accepting responsibility, the same is true today. Today. Our faith must grow and grow and grow. And it takes work and it takes effort. And it's all worth it. The next thing is this, and I I think it's very, very important. The God-shaped man is called to action and rejects passivity in his ethics. Colossians 3 17 says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the father through him. Now, more than ever, as we, if we stand before as God is with us and amongst us friends in everything that we do, we do according to God's will. That is definitely true in our ethics. The basic premise of ethics: ethics is your yes is your is a yes, and your no is a no. That the end of the day, when we're dealing with those and we're living out our faith and as a witness, as a testimony to those around us, they know that our yes is a yes and our no is a no. They know that what you see is what you're going to get. There's no hidden agenda. There's no. There's no ulterior motive as there is a lot in this world At the end of the day we reject passivity we stand and we understand we're called to action in our ethics and we are going to be what god wants us to be and we're going to show that we show it in our ethics and we show it in our work Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. In our work, every day, everything we do is not for ourselves, but it is to bring God honor. That means every day we work as hard as we can. We work to the fullest of our extent that we can. Why? Because we want to use the gifts and talents God gives us to proclaim his magnificence around us. Understand that we are give thanks at everything that we do, and we give it to God. We do everything for God, our work. We go to work not just for financial gain, but we go to work to honor God. We give thanks. We have joy. We do those things. I'm going to hit on this last one because I think this is the one where sometimes we struggle because we get caught up in work and sometimes we get caught up in church and sometimes our family gets left behind. The God shaped man rejects passivity and understands that he is called to action in his family. Proverbs 11, whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. If you are a God-shaped man and you are given a family, you are blessed with a family, you don't get the opportunity to just come in and tune out your family. I've had a hard day at work. I just need some me time. So I'm going to tune everything out. Friends, I've seen too many fathers who have become absent when they're right there in their home. Kids don't bring stuff to them anymore because they don't want to bother dad. And we began to create this culture that we've become passive in our family. We're no longer active. God designed you to be a father and a husband. That means we have to be invested in our families each and every day. My challenge to you this week is to examine yourself how are you living up? Have you become maybe too passive in your life? Maybe you're going, I'm just trying to get through, I'm just trying to get through each day. Maybe it's time to give that to God. Pray for His guidance and His strength and His encouragement to become what God wants you to become and understand and, and feel that calling to be, to be active and call to action. Say, I'm no longer going to sit on the sidelines. I'm going to be what God wants me to be going forward. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now, grateful to be in your presence, knowing that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that you have a plan for us. We know that all your plans are to work according to your will and will work for your good so that you are glorified and honored and that we can be the testament of your creation. Father, use us the way that you see fit and move us the way you want us to go. Father, encourage us and strengthen us to be the man that you want us to be and aspire to be. And in the end, we give you the thanks and the glory and the honor forever. Make our lives about you and not about ourselves.